Hello, and welcome to the 108 podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Raquel. And we are the Type 1 Together Girls. We are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please remember the Type 1 Together does not give medical advice. We are only sharing from personal experience. And today we have the one and only Meg, who we keep talking about on our podcast. We keep referring to you all the time, Meg. And now we finally get to have you on. We're so excited. Meg is Type 1 Together's nutritionist. She lives with diabetes. She also just has so much knowledge outside of nutrition on diabetes. Like she just gets it probably way better than Amanda or I, honestly. <laughs> I'm always amazed at her ability to like understand the technical aspects of pumping, specifically Omnipod and just everything. So um, welcome, Meg, to the show. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here. Can you share just a little bit about yourself and general type one journey before we dive into questions? Yeah. So I've been living with type one for 24 years. So I was diagnosed as a child and it was a journey. Um, I think growing up, especially in those like childhood years, I, you know, my parents managed it mostly. They did a great job. My dad has type one. So, you know, they kind of knew what to do. Um, but I really started to struggle when I took over that management or started to on my own, right? Going off to middle school and high school where it was a lot more in my court. And I I would say I'm honored that now you say those things about me understanding it because for so long I didn't. And it really did um, you know, cause a lot of issues mentally for me in my management, of course. Um, and uh, you know, about six years ago, I was like, I gotta figure this out. Like this is with me for the rest of my life, and I just gotta figure out how to actually make it work for me. Um, and that led me on this journey to really understanding all parts of diabetes, the mindset side, the relationship with diabetes, the acceptance of it. And that led me down these paths as well of like food and nutrition and exercise and all of these things that I loved and were part of my life already, but I didn't understand their connection maybe with diabetes as deeply. I knew they were related. I knew that yeah. what I ate impacted my diabetes, but really just like the intricacy of it and the relationship up between them. So that led me to get my master's in nutrition and food science. Um, I became a health coach. And now that is my full-time gig is helping people with type one live happy, healthy, and active lives. And you do Ooh. it so successfully. I've seen the um, reviews or testimonials. Like It's very clear that you're making a huge difference. But I have a question. As you were just sharing that you know, it was about six years ago that you changed things, was there a pivotal mm -hmm. moment? Was there like one terrible night or was it just, mm -hmm. you know, over time sort of figuring out that you wanted to make a change? Yeah, there is one pivotal moment. I think it was building. So it wasn't probably, if I look back on it truly, it was a while, but I got really frequent UTIs and that's really common with diabetes, right? We have just like extra sugar in our blood. So bacteria can grow really easily. So I was getting UTIs, urinary tract infections for those who don't know that, probably every month or every other month, which meant I was going on a lot of antibiotics. 
And I have no problem with medicine. I have no problem taking antibiotics, but I was like, this is too much. (laughs) This is getting a little crazy. And I had this one, I went on a really fun trip with my now husband. We were just dating then. And I got a UTI, but I didn't catch it. And it turned to a kidney infection. And so I was hospitalized. And that for me was a huge wake-up call because I was somebody who was healthy. I ran half marathons. I was a yoga instructor. Like I drank green juices and salads. You know, I was healthy like by, um, by anyone looking in, but my body was like yelling at me like, hey, can you take care of your diabetes as well? Like as well as you take care of all this other stuff. And um, I think I remember lying in that hospital room with the kidney infection and my now husband sitting beside me who like loved me and was like, hey, like, why is this happening? And I was like, oh my gosh, why am I doing this to myself? And that really was kind of the, the kick in the butt that I needed to just start figuring it out. Yeah. Gosh, that is so, so scary. Kidney infections are terrifying. Mm-hmm. And also UTIs are so wildly painful. Worse. <laughs> the worst. I cannot believe you were dealing with them. All the time. Up to 12 times a year or whatever yeah. the number was. That's and, so miserable. Yeah. And my doctors never pointed at diabetes. Like I look back and I'm like, I was out of control with my diabetes. Of course, that's the reason. But they were never like, hey, maybe get your diabetes in check and this will come down. Like that's a a link that I had to make myself. I'm sure they knew it and maybe they knew that I knew it and so they didn't say it. But I just remember being like, this diabetes is related to this. Yeah. Yeah. What was well, there's your- not enough of that like in general in the health space, like everything's so connected. But I feel like when you go to the doctor about something, they really separate everything out. And it's like, Mm -hmm. why are they not saying this is diabetes? And then eventually if you find it out, you're like, wow, I could have saved so much time and energy if I just understood the root cause here. It's so weird to me that they don't Instead of just prescribing me another antibiotic, they should have been like, hey, and we noticed this happened last month too. Do you think you should get your blood sugars down? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, of course, it coming. Yeah. Sorry, it's, I was just no, going to say the healthcare system is so reactive as opposed to proactive. Mm-hmm. And it feels mm-hmm. like there's an attempt to shift that, but the, there's just so many decades of crappy American healthcare that needs to be overturned mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't happen overnight. For sure. And, and I do feel too, there is this element of because it came from me, because I'm the one who wanted it, that's what made me so passionate about figuring it out. If it was my doctor telling me, I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel at heart. <laughs> so, <laughs> if a doctor told me, like, hey, figure this out, I probably would have been like, meh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. because it was me really feeling that pain and really seeing what it was doing to my life, I think I, I was a lot more committed to, to figuring out that answer. I'm curious, do you have any idea or do you remember what your like average blood sugar was or your A1C, whatever you're comfortable sharing? Yeah. At that time, I believe I was like 8.5-ish. Okay. Wow. So, with, with working out and eating healthy. 
Oh, yeah. The thing, the funny thing about working out and eating healthy is it's going to help make diabetes easier to an extent, mm-hmm. like if you know how to manage those things. But if you're not dosing correctly, if you don't have the right ratios, if you don't have the right background insulin, if you're not paying attention, you could eat healthy and work out all you wanted and it's not going to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Man, that's just so crazy. Um, Okay. Thank you for sharing. Okay. So getting into this then, I, we have, you know, lists of questions. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours with you, Meg, but (laughs) in that same breath, I'm curious what your journey with food has been like. Like, have you always liked eating healthy or did that change as you got older? If you could share some of that. Yeah. So I had a really, I don't want to say standard American diet growing up because I think my parents were in general like healthy eaters. We always ate dinner together at the table, um, you know, well-balanced meals. We had our meat, our protein, our veggies. So I would say pretty healthy. I mean, it was in the 90s. So there's some questionable (laughs) things (laughs) from that time period. But in general, I would say I grew up eating like pretty good. And I was athletic. So, you know, we definitely had, um, you know, education around nutrition there. And I, I, you know, in media and stuff, I think I was always kind of drawn to just like health and wellness in general. I loved that because I loved sports. And then in college, I loved yoga and workouts and So I think I was always on that. But I think having diabetes, and I know we talk about this all the time, it's so closely integrated with food because you have to count your carbs, right? Food is where we see those biggest fluctuations in blood sugar typically. So I think it took me a while to really understand that the impact that diabetes had on food. And I always like to say – my or sorry, the relationship of diabetes had to my relationship to food. I always like to say for me, and I think for a lot of people too, there's kind of this like threefold triangle and it's relationship to food, relationship to diabetes slash insulin and relationship to your body. Mm. And if any one of those is out of whack, it really makes the other two, it really strains the other two as well. Yes. So in that way, um, in my own personal journey, like I think I had a pretty good relationship with food growing up. And then you step into high school, you start seeing people who are smaller than you, <laughs> prettier than you, you know, you, you start yeah. to compare. You yeah. see the societal, you know, stuff being pushed yeah. down your throat. And there were definitely times where whether it was food or body image or just like frustration with diabetes, they all started to pull at that triangle and started to create this really difficult place to live in my mind. Cause I was like, you know, I love food. I have this good foundation of food from when I was a kid, but I also want to be small. You know, I also want to, um, not have diabetes. Like there's just all of this stuff that can start to clutter it. And it's not always directly related with food, but it always has an impact on that relationship with food. 
This is making me, I don't know if you guys can see me starting to cry, but I just, mm. there's some stuff on occasion that gets said that just like really hits me hard as a mother of two daughters. And it's, mm. I just am like so invested in making sure that how do I even want to say this? Basically, like when you're a parent, my husband and I are very on the same page of we want to provide our girls with shoes, not carpet the road in front of them. You know what I mean? And so I love that. like you explaining that, Meg, is just like I can't carpet the world for her. And mm-hmm. I feel this immense pressure to buy her the perfect shoes or to provide her with the perfect shoes. And it's like, fuck, do the perfect shoes even exist for a female with type one diabetes? Like, or am I just going to have to accept that she will very likely endure some sort of like pain and challenge and, you know, a pull Mm -hmm. at a, each corner of the triangle is yeah. just like hit me in a new way. And I think, I, I think everyone's going to struggle, like regardless of whether you have type one or not, like yeah. those, you know, obviously it makes the the situation a little bit less complicated, but I think one thing that's helped me be able to come back to this place where I am now, where I will eat whatever, but I also know what makes me feel good um, is understanding that I had that solid foundation. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have these underlying beliefs from my childhood that were like, this food is good. This food is bad. I I really have this like solid thing so that when those external influences start knocking on that, you know, house I've built for myself in terms of my relationships with these different parts of my life, I still have a solid foundation and the house can shake a little there might be a little crack every now and again, right? But when I come back to it, I know in my heart, like, food is good. And I love food. And I have mm-hmm. a great relationship with it. And I I can repair that house um, because I have that solid foundation. And you can rebuild a foundation, too, if you didn't yeah. grow up with a great relationship with food. It takes more work. And I definitely recommend people who feel that way, like, seeing a therapist, seeing, you know, a dietitian who has um, specialty in that type of work. But it's it's like building a house. We set the foundation. That's what parents can help do. And then you can hope that as your child starts to build their house full of these relationships and these different rooms and, you know, different areas that they are structuring it on that really solid foundation that you've been able to provide. And they're going to get stronger from it. I mean, I know that's like such Mm an annoying, Mm -hmm. positive spin sometimes, but it's like I really do love parts of me that have only come from the struggle of type one or maybe it would have come in the future, but it kind of does force you to go through those things a little bit earlier. But all these parents with type one kids, like you're going to have these amazing, strong, resilient kids and young Mm -hmm. adults, and they're going to be able to handle future situations in their lives in a different way more mature way than other people their age like I just know it and so I do think there's some beauty that comes from it even though it does suck there's no dancing around that yeah 
I know there's beauty that comes from it. It's just every once in a while something is said or I can like <laughs> I can like visualize my daughter as a 15 year old who's just like hurting, you know, and it, yeah, it gets me for the most part. I'm pretty emotionally solid and every once in a while I just break. So no, you're <laughs> allowed to break Amanda. When I was babysitting Hattie the other day, I was having a weird out of body experience. And this happens, especially when I see really little ones with type one, where I was like, wow, this was me. Like, okay. I was one year older than her at the time, but like I was wearing these devices. I was going through this. I was having to get my finger pricked. And I almost have more pain looking at that now than like what I was actually experiencing in the moment. I don't know if Meg mm. can relate to that at all, but it's like it didn't seem that bad at the time. And now I'm like sad for that little girl, but I don't think I need to be because I'm okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Have What's you your experience that? with that, Meg? Yeah. I um, I think I was pretty – I think different experiences happen at different times in my life. I have vivid memories of my mom like chasing me around the kitchen to do my like Lanta shot. <laughs> and to me, I was just like, it wasn't sad to me. It was just like, I don't want to take my shot. Like, let me run around. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure like it really broke my mom's heart to have to be like, Megan, like we need to do this. Like, come on. <laughs> but I was just like, you know, it it, it wasn't as heartbreaking to me being a kid like that again like Raquel was saying like looking in you might be like oh my god this girl is you know <laughs> so scared of this but yeah. I think um I was able to really grow up with it you know unfortunately with my dad having it too that I never felt that it never felt that hard and I ignored it for most of my teenage years, which probably, which I don't recommend. But I think, um, yeah, like there's definitely times I think where I'm like, oh, this is so annoying that I have to deal with this now and nobody else does. Um, and I think those times are probably the most frustrating or when I feel exhausted at the end of the day because I had a roller coaster day. And even to this day, like I, I can kind of feel some of that like why me syndrome, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like, well, oh, why me? But then I'm like, okay, everyone has their stuff that they have to deal with. Mine sucks. A lot of other people sucked too. And I'm still able to live the life that I want to live. I can chase after my goals. I can travel the world. I can do whatever I want to do. I just have to carry this little extra bag with me. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I got a little bit off topic from the original question, but yeah, I, I think like, do I look back and see pain or whatever in my childhood? No. I see just like, you know, someone who had to do with, you know, some extra stuff and I had more than most of those other kids in my class had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me feel better, especially given that like we're in the day and age of so much technology. And mm -hmm. I mean, gosh, switching from MDI to pump therapy was like the ultimate game changer in that way because mm -hmm. she gets three days, 72 hours of no pokes if I do everything right. 
not, you know, that's an oversimplified mm-hmm. statement, but <clears throat> there's potential for no pokes for 72 hours. Mm-hmm. And then just like one poke and we're done instead of just yeah. the daily um, pain and struggle. So, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> yes. Let's turn our attention to celiac because this is something that we have gotten so yeah. many questions on. And Amanda and I can't really speak to it. We know that you live with celiac and probably have so many awesome tips. So, first, can you just share a little bit about your journey with celiac and like how you think of that in relation to type one? If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, so I was diagnosed with celiac when I was 15. So I was a lot older and, or not a lot older, but I guess it was like 10 years after my initial diagnosis. And I was in high school and I'm going to be totally honest with you. I was so happy to have that diagnosis because (laughs) not in terms of like, I wanted another disease, but first of all, I wasn't feeling well. And second of all, it was like um I, like gluten was like still unknown and like to have a dietary restriction, I don't know. I just thought it was like this is a disease I don't mind talking to people about. Like, Ooh. oh, I can't eat that. I can't eat bread. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so She's so mysterious. <laughs> you know, okay. in high school you're like, you know, whatever. Yeah, so That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's just me being me. But um, so when I was diagnosed with celiac, um, first of all, there was like no gluten-free breads in the grocery store. It was not that time period yet. So I had to go to this like special place where I had to make my own bread. And I remember thinking I was so cool, like in the kitchen on Sunday, like making my own (laughs) bread. Um, So I really, I think celiac, interesting enough, was a diagnosis that I really embraced and I had a lot of fun with it. Like I was making gluten-free cookies and like gluten-free this and that. And I just like loved it. Um, whereas diabetes, I always felt like was in the way and annoying celiac. Like I really embraced. And, um, so, you know, in that way, I think that, um, Celiac was kind of proof to myself, even if I didn't know it at the time, that I could embrace a diagnosis mm-hmm. and I could make the best of a bad situation. And not saying like it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows, like when I eat gluten, like I do not have a fun time. But I think, <laughs> and I'm like naturally a pretty positive person, but I think as I, you know, when I had that kidney infection and when I decided to really take on the challenge of type one for the first time in my life and really commit to it, I kind of had this framework with celiac where I was like, how can I like make my life enjoyable with this? And where can I find the, you know, I'm using air quotes, but like the fun in this. And I was able to do that with diabetes because I had that framework from celiac of being in the kitchen and baking gluten-free cakes and finding all the gluten-free bakeries. And even to this day, like my husband and I, like, I love my husband. He follows all these gluten-free accounts on Instagram and he's always like sending me like, oh my God, look at, they have this brand of this thing now. And I'm like, oh my God, we got to try. Sweet and supportive. Yeah, but is he, yeah, and it is just, he gluten free with you? Does he no avoid? Oh, okay, <laughs> just wondering. He he will eat it, but I think he um, 
he still eats, you know, gluten. And but you know, to go back to that question, how are they related? I don't think. I mean, there is a relation with them, and I could get into the scientific side of that. But from a relationship standpoint, I think having celiac, that journey with it helped me be able to accept my diabetes when I was ready to, because I saw that I could have this relationship with the diagnosis that wasn't all, you know, uh, pushing it down and pushing it away. I could bring it to the forefront. And then I, you know, in, in doing that with diabetes, like I found you guys and I got an Instagram and I started a business and I had so yeah. much fun with it um, that now when people are like, oh, that sucks. You have diabetes. I'm like, Oh yeah, shit. Yeah, it does suck. <laughs> I have to, like remind myself like, oh yeah. <laughs> I love this perspective so much. Okay, so not everyone has that outlook on it unfortunately, no, no. but And I didn't for like 20 years. I yeah. went a long time without that outlook. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> no, I we all go through that. So Yeah. Do you have any tips then for parents who have kids with celiac? Just any general things you can pass along that have been helpful? I think, um, and I was a little bit older, so you know, I don't know exactly what I would have done in situations where you're having a class party and like, you know, you're the only child who can't eat the cake. You know, I didn't really have to experience that because I was a bit older. Um, but I would say really making sure that they have those substitutes, that they're able to um have those moments where they do feel like they're part of it, even if they have to do something a little different. Yeah. Um, that feeling of belonging, I think, is something that with type one and with celiac can really suffer. Mm -hmm. So remembering that that belonging, especially when around food, is a really important experience for kids. Um, when they feel like they have to wait because of a pre bolus or they have to not eat the cake because it right. has gluten in it, that's what starts to create that negative relationship with food and with celebration and with. Um, all of that and brings that stress into the relationship. Yeah, this is that it's reminding me we had um, just a couple of friends over for Hattie's birthday and we made one new friend at um, our swim class and the little girl is uh, nut free. She has like an anaphylactic mm -hmm. nut allergy and I had already purchased a small cake and whatever. And I just was kind of like, sorry, you know? And then I went to the store and got something else day of, and I saw a nut-free mini cupcake and I like just bought it and then sent mm -hmm. the nutrition facts to her mom beforehand. And I was like, I'll hide these away if they're not okay, but it says it's like nut-free and made in a nut-free facility. And she, the mom like texted me a picture of her little four-year-old with like the biggest eyes and the Aww. biggest smile I've ever seen because she also got to have a tiny piece of cake with the couple mm -hmm. other of like toddlers that were right there. Um, yes. And it feels very similar. Yeah. It's like all in the same thread of, I don't, I don't dose Hattie and tell her, no, you can't eat the cake, even though everyone else is starting to eat it. You have to wait 10 more minutes. Like, no. I'm doing it silently yeah. in the background and like, we'll just work with the sugars that come our way. Yeah. yeah. And I love that, that example of the cake too. I think that goes to show the, the more that we are outward with living with type one and see like, you don't have to like, you know, 
put it on a t-shirt and walk around with it. But the more that you are able to embrace and talk about and let people know about the diagnosis, whether you're the parent or the the child with type one, the more that people will support you and the more that you will feel like you fit in. When we isolate ourselves, which I did for 20 years, that's when the that's when it feels icky, right? So for example, like I went and visited my cousin this summer. And when I got into my room, like, you know, they had the guest room set up for me. She had like low snacks and Gatorade next to my mm. bed. And she was like, you know, I know that you, ha- you know, you sometimes need this in the middle of the night. So I put that there for you. So and I was cute. like, that is exactly the type of thing that like just makes you feel a little more normal. Or she brought bought gluten-free bread. And mm. she would have never done that if I wasn't so outward about it. Right. Like, I don't think 10 years ago, me going over to a friend's house, they would have ever bought like a low snack for me. Right. Um, So, the more open we are about it, the more that people are willing to help us. We're not putting the burden on them, they're helping us carry it, which is like a really beautiful thing and can't be done if, um, you know, if we're too shy about it. I want to say, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Meg. Are there like top yeah. three products that you love that are great for celiac gluten-free things? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, Bonza pasta. Yes. Oh, yes. Just for taste in general. Because the protein. Yeah. yeah. More, more protein and more fiber. Yep. And I love it. I love Bonza. Um, they also have a pizza, which is like less great, but <laughs> still there. <laughs> Um, my favorite bread, I'm going to go a little controversial with this one because not everyone loves this one, but well, first of all, I love Udi's is like my day-to-day bread, the multigrain one or the millet and chia seed bread one. But there's this brand called Against the Grain, which creates this Mm. French bread and it's not like regular French bread. So you can't go into it being like, this tastes like regular bread, but it's so good. It's like cheesy inside. Ooh. Anyway, so good. Against the grain. That's that brand. Um, and then lastly, the Mission Tortillas. They have created a gluten-free tortilla that is the closest to a regular tortilla I've ever had. So nice. Okay. Those are my top three. Is Love there it. anything – any food that like parents should be aware of that has sneaky gluten in it that you like wouldn't yeah. think, you know? Yeah, a lot of things. So soy sauce, I think, is oh, like the biggest yeah. one that comes to mind because um, like traditional soy sauce is made from soybean, but the mass manufactured soy sauce has wheat in it. Mm. So that means that anything that uses soy sauce, dressings, sauces, you know, anything like that, any kind of seasoning has gluten. Okay. <laughs> so especially if eating out at like Chinese or Asian or sushi, right, just making sure that their sauces and stuff is made with the gluten-free soy sauce. Got it. Okay. Um, but other than that, a lot of dressings, Greek dressing a lot of times has it, which huh. is weird. Um, there's no reason for it. (laughs) A lot of soups use it as like a thickener. Um, so it's really just like those like little places, but in general, when I'm eating out, 
I just make sure it's a place that I know. Um, there's a lot of like websites that are like gluten-free finders and stuff. Um, I just look at reviews from other celiacs and say like, did they have a good experience or not? Yeah. Um, what about since we're coming up on Halloween here? Um, candy, any candy? Yeah. Actually this episode will drop on Halloween. So this can be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, the one that's the most annoying for me is like a lot of like like Twizzlers do. There's a lot of like gummy <gasps> really? candies that include meat. Like a lot some brands of gummy bears. Um just cuz it kind of like helps like solidify it. Yeah. Um okay. So there are like gluten-free gummy bears, but like most of like those gummy things will have it. Um you just have to like double check that the brand and manufacturer that you're eating doesn't um, other than that, like, you know, Twix bars, anything with like that kind of cookie in it, Kit Kat bars. Yeah. Um, otherwise like some chocolates will Reese's doesn't like M&Ms don't, but some chocolates that, especially ones that are like a little bit more cheaply made will have mm. like barley malt in it, which is like mm. considered gluten. Yeah, yeah. So there's just some of those little sneaky things. I would just like double check everything because different, um, different candies can like sneak up on you. Yeah. And some the- aren't like certified gluten-free, but they might not have gluten ingredients, so then you could use your discretion over yeah. what you're willing to do. Interesting. The Twizzlers was a big big shock just it's now. Weird, right? <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> like why? <laughs> yes. Um and I loved Twizzlers, so that's one that I haven't been able to find a great uh, alternative, but such a bummer. Um We've got time for a few more questions. I'm curious to dive in a little bit to like your master's in nutrition Mm -hmm. and what that was like. And I specifically am more curious about like the fact that you have diabetes and you had to understand food to a point. Did you feel like that master's program was perhaps easier for you in any way than your non-type one? Um, There was a lot that I already knew. Um, But I would say there were still a lot of areas that I had no idea about. So like when we talked about diabetes, when we talked about insulin, when we talked about, you know, carbohydrates, protein, I feel like I had a really good grasp on it because I was like, I've been paying attention to that since I was five. Um, Whereas like a lot of other people maybe weren't as aware. Um, however, there's a lot to nutrition and there's a lot to food science. And I think the degree really opened my eyes to how much beyond just my small, narrow view of diabetes, nutrition hits, right? So things like heart disease, things like kidney disease, all of these, you know, GERD and all of these different mm-hmm. conditions that are very nutritionally related, um, really, I, I had no idea. And yeah. I did have to like learn a lot about that kind of stuff. Uh, but what I think was one of the most interesting things was just like, while food is immensely complicated and so there's so much to it, it's also quite simple right? Like we don't, you don't have to have a master's degree in order to eat a healthy diet. There's no like secret 
the stuff that feels boring in terms of nutrition is usually what is correct. Um, <laughs> right? Like eat your veggies. <laughs> yep. You don't need to cut out like these five specific veggies because they have this one compound in it. Like eat your veggies, eat your fruits, eat your whole grains, eat some lean proteins and healthy fats. You'll be good. Yes. Um, so while it is so complicated and like I have to know that because there's other, you know, there's certain things you want to understand going into, you know, becoming a dietitian. You don't have to understand every, you don't have to be an expert in nutrition in order to eat healthy. Sure. Okay. So going into that then Mm -hmm. for those of us who have children with type one diabetes and we are Mm -hmm. attempting to create positive, healthy relationships with food while letting them eat what they want and managing blood Mm -hmm. sugars and not saying no and also saying no. (laughs) What do you have any like tips or guidance for those of us with picky eaters? For example, Hattie used to eat anything and everything under the sun and the type Mm -hmm. one diagnosis forced me to introduce simple sugars and candy and juice because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, I have to save a blood sugar of 40. And if that means Mm -hmm. she eats half a bag of Skittles because she won't eat anything else because she's two, I have to just let it happen. And so like this is kind of a multi-step question, I suppose, but Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of us who have kids who are like, I just want pasta. I'm not interested in veggies. I'll eat a few fruit and otherwise like give me all the sweets. And so Mm -hmm. I do my best to balance, but like, how do I help my (laughs) four-year-old? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, picky eating can come from a lot of different reasons. And I think sometimes it's just something that passes. It's like, children at that age, like may just be picky. Like that is their, um, control that they have in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think understanding that you can do everything right and still have a picky eater sometimes is totally normal. Um, but going onto it, it's really just about creating that continued healthy or sorry, happy environment around eating. So um, you know, things like inviting them in the kitchen, helping them get exposure to these different fruits and vegetables, even not forcing them to eat it or even like asking them to, but just be like, hey, do you want to help me chop up this broccoli? Or hey, do you want to help me like season this? Um, can help them be more familiar with it so that when it goes on their plate, um, even if it takes a few times, um, they they're like, oh yeah, I've I've touched that in the kitchen. I know what that is. We are scared of things that we don't understand, even as adults, and kids are no different, right? When they see something on their plate that's green and they typically eat things that are brown, it's normal for them to be like, I don't want the green thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that is. That's not safe to me. Um, But having that continued exposure, not having that stress or forcefulness around those foods that might feel unfamiliar can ultimately lead to them being like, oh, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll have a bite today. And if I hate it, just keep offering it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, speaking of the control thing, like giving your child the control. Be like, hey, yeah. do you want to have squash on your plate tonight or should we have broccoli? 
And like, even if they don't eat it, like letting them pick. And so then they get to see it on their plate. That kind of um, empowerment like helps them make, feel like they're choosing it. Even at the grocery store, like, hey, would you rather have this or this? Hey, will you go get this one for me? Will you pick out which one we should eat tonight? Yes. That kind of stuff helps them like feel involved in it. I feel like I'm doing a lot of that. And for the most part, she'll like answer. But there are some times where she goes, nothing. <laughs> like, okay. okay. And then I put I put like one floor of broccoli on her plate because you're supposed to continue exposing. And I mm-hmm. always tell her you don't have to eat it. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And if she's in a real pissy mood, I'm sure a lot of the parents listening have been in the same position. She literally will be like, I don't want it. And push the plate off the table. And it's like, holy shit, you little punk. Um, but well, when I'm in a bad mood, I don't want to eat asparagus, so I get it. True, True. gosh, so true. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) What about let's see? I'm curious if you could just share a little bit about your foods that you just don't like. Like, are there any foods that you absolutely hate or you're like, I don't get enough of this in my diet and I just can't do it? That's kind of a weird question, but. No, I like that question. And I actually, I'm going to have to think for a second on that answer. <laughs> I, I'm i pretty open to eating anything. I think there were definitely times in my life where like sushi or anything raw, mm-hmm. I was like, no. Yeah, same. <laughs> now I'll eat whatever. I'm like, if it's gluten-free, put it on my plate. Um, I don't eat meat. Um, Mm -hmm. that's been something I do eat fish. Um, but I've just, I've been vegetarian or pescatarian or whatever you want to call it for five or six years now. Um, that was just like a more personal choice than like dislike of it. So I, I guess that's one reason, but in terms of like things I don't eat. What about with diabetes? Is there anything blood sugar wise that you're just like, I can't do it. Because for me, it's not that I can't do it, but I will say oatmeal Mm -hmm. and cereal are really, (laughs) really challenging to the point where I avoid it unless it's like magic spoon cereal or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) I Oatmeal is tricky. I have to give about double the amount of insulin that I would based on the carb count. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, Which is pretty crazy, especially for something that is healthy. And that's where like I I have taken out of my language that like just because it requires more insulin, it's bad. Oatmeal is very healthy. It has so much soluble fiber. Like it's good for us. Um, and I just have to take a lot of insulin for it. It's fine. Um, yeah. I don't eat it every day because I don't really love it. But um, I would say – I would say no. Like there's nothing that I wouldn't eat. Love that. And there's nothing if if I there are some things that like I kind of just accept, like this might be a little bit of a tricky blood sugar thing. Um, but I I never let myself go into the situation um expecting to fail. I I give it my best shot every time. Pun. There's nothing that we really can't eat. My shot every time. That was good. Um, um, I love before that. we go, Meg, can you share a little bit about the amazing resources that you've been creating for Type One Together? There's more and more coming out as we get more time with Meg, which is so exciting. But yeah. um, you've already made some really great things that people should know about. 
Yeah. So we have our Eating with Diabetes ebook, which is just like a really comprehensive guide that breaks down food beyond just carbs. So we talk about carbs, we talk about simple sugars and fiber, but we also talk about protein and fat and those more tricky things uh, to bolus for. And that's a really great guide. I think it's like 30 pages of just like info about foods. And we try to make it as simple as possible, but still being more than what you'll probably get from an endo visit. Yep. Um, (laughs) Then we also just finished our first ever Omnipod or auto mode masterclass, which I'm super excited about, still riding the high from that. Um, So good. And I hope that we're going to offer that again because I think understanding how to optimize um, auto mode, Mm -hmm. I've been on Omnipod 5 for about a year and a half now, has really changed my relationship with technology because Mm -hmm. I had to look at it totally different, but it's created so much more simplicity in my life. And we have a ton of freebies. We have a ton of blogs. So yes, you can get those. uh, We'll put all the links in the show notes for that stuff. But there's a free carb estimation guide that's also really helpful for Mm -hmm. eating out and stuff that Meg made. And you can also find really great videos from Meg on the Honey Health app inside of our Super Parents community, which is a free group that we have right now. And so if you're not in there, what are you doing? (laughs) There's an (laughs) awesome chat full of parents to you know, vent to, relate to all the things. And then also content that we're updating daily almost from our whole entire team. And so there's some great stuff in there and we're going to keep adding to it. All right. We do a blood sugar roll call at the end of every video. My desk about to expire. Mine expired during this. (laughs) Did it really? I'm at at 91. But I'm about to expire in probably like five minutes. So that this is very lucky that we're ending here. <laughs> uh, Patty is 177. I have to cover her face. I have a picture. <laughs> I, Raquel, what was your last blood sugar? I was around 150, it looks like. Um, and then it cut off. So I'm trying to decide if I want to restart this one or just put a fresh one on. But... It is what it is. If you heard that beeping going off earlier, it was my phone saying that my sensor expired. <laughs> <laughs> that means well, that we're like synced up with our Dexcom change, Raquel. Yes, that's a new yes, level of syncing. <laughs> that is a new level of syncing. And then Meg, Raquel and I have officially synced our periods. <laughs> <laughs> we have. We both got on a call and we're like, oh, I started my period today. And Amanda's like, me too. <laughs> oh my God. So weird. <laughs> Uh, that's a sign of, um, a good work relationship. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> For all of us. Exactly. Yeah. The three of us are vibing here. <laughs> yeah, I love um, it. Okay. One last thing before we go, uh, where can people find you besides yeah, type so one I, together? <laughs> I'm on Instagram, um, as Meg type one, and I also am on YouTube and TikTok and all the things. So, but Instagram is my main, my main place. Awesome. We will link everything for you guys in the show notes. Be sure to go give Meg Type One a follow. If you don't, she provides incredible content um, and is a valued member in this diabetes space. Meg, thank you so much for coming on today. It was an amazing conversation. You made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> There's Thank a lot you of guys. gold I had in this so episode. much fun. Thank yes. you, Meg. We'll see everyone next week. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.